OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome, everybody. Uh, today, we are, uh, I should check the number, of course, but I believe this is somewhere in the range of, say, 30 to 50 people we've interviewed. I don't remember the number, but I think what's exciting about this is that uh, today we're with Sydney Wong, and she's going to be fantastic. She has a lot of great insight, and that she's a new investor, which makes things even more exciting because she'll have a whole different perspective of what's going on in this early stage world. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce Sydney. And Sydney, maybe you can give us a little bit of a background on yourself, where you've come from, the things that you've done, and one thing about you that nobody else will know. Great. Um, so my name is Sydney, and um, well, I'll tell you how I got, kind of got started in this industry, and then I'll go into something that no one else will know. Um, yeah, so a few years ago, when I was working in marketing and tech, I was invited by, by a friend of mine down in San Francisco who said if I was very, very serious about learning more about startup and tech, then I needed to move down to the valley. So within that conversation, I bought a plane ticket within 10 days and I moved down there and I moved in with him. Felt like that was an invitation. And, uh, and then I was there for several months trying to find um, my own place, trying to get anybody to accept my Canadian credit report, which I didn't know was that different from an American one. I felt like it, sh it should have been way easier than it was. Um, so I went through a lot of ups and downs, but most importantly, I met a lot of really great startup founders. And uh, that's when I felt that great passion to want to help in this industry. I felt that this was a very unique time and very unique industry where this is the kind of thing where people look for innovation on a daily basis, and yet the industry in itself has not been innovated for many generations. And this was the right time to do it. So I built, I uh, came back to Canada uh, because the IRS was very polite to uh, explain to me that my visa was up. And uh, so I moved back to Canada and then I started uh, VentureX and it's a platform that helps uh, startups with um, their metrics and their analytics in order to get the, the best um, chances for funding. And then this year in 2020, as Jeff mentioned, we have launched our new angel arm X Capital, and we are starting to close our first investment. So it's been a very exciting journey um, from start to finish. And uh, and yeah, so now we have both the platform for startups as well as the um, investment arm for angel investments. We write about uh, 25K checks um, as early stage investors, and it's really exciting to, to get to do that. One thing that I think that a lot of people didn't know about me um, is that I lived in a lot of very interesting places. Um, one of the places is, uh, I, it was, it's been 19 years since I last traveled back to Hong Kong in China, which I went to last year. And it was so incredibly different. Um, a few things that really stood out for me from my trip there was that I was living with family, so that was great. I do speak the language, um, which is 
helpful. And uh, I was there to actually um, do a conference. Um, well, it is in English, but it would have been very impressive if they asked me to do it in Chinese um, for Hong Kong FinTech Week. And um, yeah, so a few things that really stood out to me was how incredible it was to see, you know, um, Hong Kong kind of come onto the scene the way that they did in the last hundred years when, you know, the, the British was um, occupying it and everything. And the relationship with Hong Kong and China, I must say, don't want to get too much into uh, the political scene, but as an outsider, it was definitely very interesting to see. Um, one thing that I didn't tell a lot of people, mostly because I'm probably afraid to, was that I was doing a lot of business calls. People kept asking me how the protests were and if I was safe and if I was okay. But when I was in China and um, I was answering like, yeah, everything's fine. This was just small talk, right? Clients are being nice. Investors are being nice. They're just asking to make sure you're okay. Um, the Wi-Fi would drop and it would scare the living like hell out of me because the Wi-Fi would drop. So I felt like I was immediately being monitored. And um, that fear went on for several months while I was there. So that is something that I didn't tell a lot of people, mainly because I'm not sure if I'm being monitored now. I'm usually not a superstitious person. <laughs> so was it the whole internet that was dropping, like down on the city street, or just your internet connection? Just mine, yeah, just mine. <laughs> Everyone else seemed to be fine. I couldn't confirm that for sure, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess it could be anything. You never know. The uh, uh, Well, Hong Kong is a bit different from from china so that who knows who was blocking who but there was talks i think um uh that this was pretty common that they were uh dropping networks and causing uh, as long as the information wasn't getting out they wanted to prevent those types of things right so yeah so i think they were like uh, picking up key words and and things like that no exactly <laughs> well it, it, i guess that's exciting and uh i've had a few friends uh that have shared the same sort of uh issue in hong kong oh. uh, mostly they uh well they're from there as well so they're in, in different stages of um not so much in the startup world so they weren't sharing too much about that uh, but still fascinating i'm a huge hong kong fan it's in my was and still might be in my top three countries in the world yeah. uh to live and visit i'm just a big fan of uh how organized and structured the the country is yeah. uh, for the amount of people that live there uh, and I've probably been there a dozen times and it's uh, every year it just seems to keep growing bigger and better and faster. So uh, it's a pretty fascinating country for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Every time we go visit, it's, it's very, it's a lot more different than when our auntie from Hong Kong comes to visit Canada and she's like, Oh, you guys are, yes, things have been the same, but I'm, I'm not lost. And I'm like, all right, great. That's We're good a lot slower on the production side, but it's different when uh, like in other countries and well in the in the Hong Kong or in mostly in China where you control your your dollar and everything else you control a lot of pieces you can make things move a lot faster so for sure yeah uh, so you mentioned before that your background was in marketing can you give mm -hmm. a, a better idea to the audience on kind of where that fits in and and how this shapes your philosophy around what you're investing in or how you're approaching your investments? Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it's really funny that um, when I graduated from university, I graduated from my master's, um, the jobs that were available in marketing because I happened to graduate at a, the last recession, so that wasn't ideal either. Um, it, was, it was funny because the, the jobs that were available in marketing were very highly, um, in either oil or tech. 
And so that's kind of why I went into tech in the first place, um, because they were hiring like crazy. These industries were growing like crazy. And then now we are seeing it um, in a very similar way that, you know, the market is going up and down like crazy. But there are certain industries that really are leading the way, tech still being one of them, right? And the way that we are marketing in tech uh, these days are very aggressive and competitive, and it's a very different realm. So one thing that I found um, to be interesting that I hope we can see more of in the future in the world of marketing is to be able to teach marketing better for people that are coming into the world. So we still don't teach, um, for example, growth marketing and growth hacks and learning from case studies as well as we really should be because the old ways of doing it are not really going to cut it uh, when you come onto the scene, right? So for example, I have two uh, marketing interns that just started on our team and uh, they're both doing something different, but one of them is doing something in a little bit more of, of growth because all of our stuff is online. And um, it's funny because she's learned it. But it's, of course she's never learned it. I know that. I didn't expect that. But uh, at the same time, you know, you kind of wish that these kinds of trends are um, embedded into the generation that has the most capability of learning marketing the fastest and easiest and most efficient ways. And so um, I think that we all have to keep in mind that there are new hacks, new ways, and new shortcuts that are being um, coming into the market every single day because your attention in marketing is the most expensive thing that you can ask for from your audience. And I think that we forget that and take that for granted way too often. And it's just becoming more and more and more limited every day. So, so are, what you're getting at is that from a marketer standpoint, and I'm not sure education can only give you an overview of how mm. something works versus being mm. granular. Uh, most of the marketers out there have learned from experience, not from school. So I can't see uh, how a school can shift if the technology shifts too much. But if you learn the basic fundamentals on f uh, creating funnels and building from funnels, uh, I'm assuming that this would be probably the best way for someone to learn and to be able to better understand how um, a business can grow. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of, um, you know, especially when you are starting out, you're doing a lot of trial and error, but really paying attention to what trial and error is and what is working, what is not versus what you want to apply because you have this like, uh, you know, preconceived notion of what's going to work because you think that, you know, a competitor has either done it or this industry tends to be like this. But no, that's not really uh, what the market is telling you. So being able to keep all of that information and data um, close to you and being able to work with it and change it and adapt to it uh, is very, very key these days. So how, do you, how does a startup manage this? I guess, how do you push this with startups to better manage on a marketing funnel side or uh, learning new ways and faltering old ways? Uh, how do you... Um, emphasize this with their startups when they have limited resources, if any, and they have limited funding, if any. Uh, so how do you approach that with, with them? Yeah, so there are two ways that we uh, do that. So for example, the startups who have, you know, um, we have, for example, our, our startup who is in a B2B SaaS, they're going to have fewer customers because it's B2B SaaS, um, but each of those are going to be high value. So go back to each of those customers and ask, you know, how did you hear about us in the first place? You know, what was uh, the tipping point and how many times did you hear about us and all of these things. Do a quick little like, you know, survey kind of thing, just 
verbally and um, have them explain to you what is it that caught their attention? Why did it come at the right time? Yes or no? And um, what was their kind of uh, tipping point? What was the selling point to convert them? What was the final straw? And so having all of this from a, just a few existing customers will help you double down on those efforts. And then the other way is if you have mass customers and you're not really sure where to uh, structure your efforts, you do have to do a trial and error and track each campaign whether it be email or whether it be social media or whether it be contests, anything that's kind of out there, uh, make sure each of them have different tracking codes or UTM codes if you're using those and um, being able to see with your team which one is most effective and why, because it's really the click through and the registration and the sign up rates that are most important as opposed to just general awareness, right? You're not looking for likes, you're looking for conversions. So on the, um, while you guys are working with your startups or looking to invest in the startups, do you guys offer this as a program for them to work with them? Or do you make suggestions on how to help build this out? Or are you just looking at being cash in and, and um, move forward from there? So um, as investors, we, we try and see what they actually need first. So they're usually um, people that we've worked with for a while. So they understand where each of our expertise come in and where each of our expertise will help them at the right time. We just don't want to overwhelm them with things that they may not be super laser focused on at this time and um, come in and help them during the times they, they really need it and when they want our restructuring or our strategy help. And uh, you mentioned before that, or earlier in a discussion that uh, you're part of a group. So yeah. uh, are, does this mean that uh, you operate as a fund or as an individual investor? And how do you work with um, these groups or how do you function with them to allow for the right skill set to come in to help them, I guess, succeed if you're going to make an investment? Yeah, so that's a great question. So how our fund works is it's very different than a lot of other funds. It's much more on a lateral basis. So we have, uh, we all work with the same family office that is out in Victoria, BC, so my hometown. And most of the partners are actually from there or live there currently. And so um, I'm one of the few ones that are from there, but I moved out to, to Montreal. So on purpose, um, our partner, he has, um, allocated you know this this fund that is for all of us and then we each have reincorporated as many funds under the parent company so that's how that works so we have um, as many or as few investments as we want but because it's on a lateral basis if something is not a great fit for me we can send it to any of the other 15 partners that have expertise in those areas whichever it may be so does it uh does it fold up to the uh, to the larger funds, or are you LPs in their fund, or are you you mentioned your mini funds. So does that mean you're allocated, making something up? But they have a, a one million dollar fund, and you have a hundred thousand of that fund. And is that cash you put into the fund, or that's your fund um, allocation? So you raise funds to come into your um, portion, and you own a percentage of the main fund. And then you take that money and invest it yourself because that's the hundred thousand you have in there. Sorry, I'm just trying to understand okay. the whole process. It's okay. It's actually much more flexible than that. So the the fund in general is ten million dollars in terms of the parent fund, and um, we each can write our check size. Of what we'll get. we each write our checks, but as many or as few as we want, 
per investment. And then per investment, that's when my personal capital comes out. So if you write, so you have, you can write up to 10 million or you can write up to 1 million of the fund. There is no, there's no restriction to, to that. Yeah. We all share the 10 million. So how do you garner on the investment side? So if you found a great deal and decide to put in 1.9 million, everybody else is cool. They don't. Oh, don't... all of our check sizes are 25 K. So that won't be a problem. It'll take a while to get to 10 million. Oh, okay. So each you have those increments. So you wouldn't go over that. And what yeah. if each person wanted to invest in the same company? That's not possible. That's not possible. Oh, okay. So you're distributing at 25,000 each into companies that you like. Um, so do you all go into that $10 million fund or is that other investment money that's come in? Yeah, that's, that's, how you... that's right. Yeah. The other investment money that's come in, that's the 10 million. And then for each of our per, like uh, picks uh, for investments, that's when our personal checks go in. That's okay, the only time so our personal take, checks. You take 25,000 from the fund, you invested in company A, you really like the company. So then you can jump on top of that with 10 K and yeah, close exactly. around to 35 K. So you own, 10k in that but the fund owns 25 yeah so we all have a very similar but different contracts but it's along those lines yes oh, okay very cool I've, I've never heard that so that's pretty fascinating so it's very different yeah and if you choose to invest from the fund but not through you then that's okay um we don't i don't think anybody has invested in the main fund except the family office thus far i don't know how that might change in the future though no but i meant from when you invest in the company not in okay. the but from oh, sorry. the yeah. a company, um, do you, can you make an investment of 25K into a company and you don't personally go in? No, we all have to personally go in as angel investors. Okay, so it's not, it, now, now, now I'm lost. So okay. there's 25 grand that you're taking from the parent fund and you're investing in company A. Of, have you invested in the fund or you're investing in that 25K? So you're actually- I've invested in the 25K, yeah. So we kind of go in together as one check oh, every time that we like sign yes i vote for this yeah exactly oh, okay, okay so we're already in that 25k in one way or the other so then it's allocated by the amount that you choose by your contract that says yeah. that they will match you 50 50 so if you go in you got to put in 12 5 they put in 12 5 there's your 25k you guys make the investment yes. so you're you're at just as much liability as they are in order to prove that this company is going to work yeah, we have 50-50 equity. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> uh, no, it's fascinating. It's, a, it's obviously a different way of doing it. Um, puts more risk on your side, I guess. But at the same time, they're matching or however the contract's set up. But that's pretty yeah. cool. So uh, now based on, on that structure or based on your investments uh, or your potential investments, how have you found the reception on the startup side? Are they... I'm guessing they don't need to know these details. They just need to know that you put 25K no. in and it comes from Entity X. And yeah. That. Yeah. So we each, um, each of the partners like myself, go and hunt for the different deals. We look for the ones that we best resonate with, the ones that um, we think are, are best for, for the fun and for us. And, um, and then we're usually the contact person and the go-to person when it comes to the founder versus the investor relationship. Um, and uh, we just get it okayed by the, the, the family office that, that I told you about, and that, that's it. We are follow-on investors, so I don't think that any of the other angels have actually led as well, so that kind of complexity is also out of the equation. And what you mean by lead is that if um, that investor chose to put more than 25 in, 
put a hundred in, then only a percentage would come from the fund. The rest would come from them. So that's something that you were saying doesn't tend to occur then. Um, yeah, we don't usually lead in terms of the due diligence and organizing other investors and all those kinds of, you know, voting and things like that in the, in those contracts, okay. we would get the contract as a follow on and then, you know, go yay or nay on it. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, like I said, it's new. So that's awesome. I got to learn something completely <laughs> on how, uh, how this fund is working and how you as, uh, investors are uh, attacking this. So that's, yeah. uh, cool. so if we take a step back and we, we go back to what you know, which is on the marketing side and being able to facilitate that piece, uh, what are you finding that, what do you find as being the biggest shortcoming for startups? And where do you think the biggest gap is that you as an investor can help them as they move forward? And is it just marketing or are there other things that you're seeing in the deal flow that you've been uh, working with over the last few years? Um, Yeah, so that's a good question. So there are two big gaps that I'm seeing. Um, One of them is that for founders who actually don't have a marketing background or a sales background or those kinds of things, um, we really look for, you know, what is generating their uh, relationships with their customers and sales with their customers. And are they expecting to allocate a certain amount of ambiguous funding or budget to marketing and then kind of praying that it's going to work and you know expecting either this to be going towards effort or person or both and just kind of like i said praying that it's going to work that's usually a very bad strategy because they themselves are not um working with the marketer or working with the team or um really being there to kind of see it step by step because the truth of the matter is they may have not found product market fit they may just think that they're at a certain stage, but they're really at a very different stage. And so um, hiring for marketing and kind of leaving it alone isn't really going to, to answer that question. Um, and then the other thing is, um, is also when there are some seed, seed stage um, VCs, and I'm not going to give you out which names are, are which, that then have their own marketing firm but it just means that the companies that they wrote checks to will just come back to them through something called marketing. And it's a, a person that's never worked with the startup. It's a, or it's a team that's never worked with the startup, but at the same time, it's kind of, it, it's kind of like, I'm giving you a check, but I'm really going to take back this money through these other means. And I'm giving you effort instead, or I'm giving you these other kinds of support instead, but then they're not able to use um, the money to pay the people that they already have on their payroll, uh, so on and so forth. So you're kind of melding, kind of a force melding, um, a marketing team. It's usually a marketing department that they kind of put in there um, with a team that they've never worked with before either. So then there's lack of that kind of team cohesiveness going forward. And I know a couple of those have uh, been popping up, uh, especially around Canada too. Um, in the past years, I don't know if they're going to stay that kind of a trend in the future years, but that is a great question for startups to ask the investors directly, you know, are you going to be providing me this kind of a support and how exactly is this going to work? Is it going to come out of the check that you're giving me or how is that going to work? So these are the kinds of questions that they really need to ask either the person they're hiring or the person who's giving them money. So it's kind of like a dragon's den style setup. I believe some of them do this. as Some of them do this because some of them have a firm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you're saying make sure that you uh, have that discussion because if they're in an early stage and they think they've got market fit and then they go and hire this firm, they're taking money to use the firm to grow, but they probably haven't found the fit. So they're going to burn through that money quickly. They're going to be stuck in a position where uh, they probably don't have the right concise message. They've got it all outsourced and it's costing them too much money to do this in the first place. They've given up a lot of equity to support this. The money's going out the door. It's basically paying them to pay themselves back. Yeah. Uh, they lose the equity. They lose the value. Who knows what the outcome is? Um, and now they don't have a, a brand voice internally. And they should really look at this beforehand to put something better together so that they can have the brand voice and minimize what they would be outsourcing and paying out the door if they're taking money that way. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's some good advice and, some, and, and a great uh, way to, I guess, learn quickly about what are the other ways people are venturing and putting money into companies. So um, I, I like that and uh, appreciate that, that background. So now outside of that, you mentioned the fun or you mentioned the building their customer relationships. Is there something in here where you know you're in a good spot? Like where a startup will actually understand like they've got the right product uh, fit and what does that look like and how do I know I've got the right product fit? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there is no real formula or no real like top tier answer because there are companies that have survived for many years and actually have never hit that point where they're really skyrocketing. They've just been doing well enough that they can keep going the next year. So there's a lot of range when it comes to product market fit. One great way that, uh, that you can test it out is to see if a paying customer is so happy with what you're doing that they're really able and willing to refer you to another paying customer, right? And then how many times can you replicate and duplicate that? Um, what are you doing that is so successful um, that other people are A, not able to copy you because you're doing it so well, and B, that the customers are so happy that they really want you to be doing more for other people and they want to refer you and they want to do all of these things. So this would work in um, a lot of cases, probably not every case if it's just the competition. If it's just you and the competition, you're probably not going to refer them. But um, in a lot of scenarios, um, you want to be able to have that kind of retention, that kind of customer satisfaction. Um, and that is one of the things that, you know, we do look for in our portfolio companies is how happy are your customers. We do call them up to ask them. And um, this is one of the important things that I think are uh, crucial in today's world is that real human connection. Now the things are so abstract um, as technology evolves we want to see are they real people what do they really have to say and um you know if we were to ask them for five recommendations tomorrow would they actually give it or would they be hesitating and why and why not no i like that and i, I think in any business you need to have some sort of support and uh getting testimonials or feedback from your customers is going to be a good way to build on your product but also testimonies to allow other people to explore and want to buy your product yeah. if you haven't seen it. And I think today's world on SaaS models and e-commerce, everything is about re reviews, finding out what the last 10 people said and deciding if they're going to stay in your Airbnb or they're going to buy your, uh, your widget or enjoy your services. So uh, I think that that's a, a great way to uh, analyze the, an early company to say, hey, you know what, take this serious and look at these things first. And they'll help benefit you in the long term. But it also, from an investor standpoint, it benefits them because they're researching on you. And the first thing that they're going to pull up is, 
uh, are there any great reviews on Google or anywhere else about you and your service or your product? And if there isn't, then I'm going to lose interest quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That, and, and that is something that I think not enough people take, uh, take into consideration early enough. For sure. Uh, when we, when we run our events, our, our skip the line event, one of the things that we do is we book a call, um, probably two weeks, I think it is, two and a half or three weeks before and then just prior. And we push the startups to actually tell everybody that they're running in this event. And uh, when we first started this, uh, it was fell on deaf ears and we were like, look, as much as this benefits us, this is really about you. When an investor looks you up, if they find nothing on you, they believe you've got nothing. Yeah. You, know, you have some traction somewhere, even if it's you pitched at an event or your logo is stuck on a wall, share it, promote the hell out of yourself. It's hard to do, but really at the end of the day, it is, it brings some value back at the end for an investor, but also for a customer to see that you were at an event or you did go here, or you did do this. It makes a big impact, especially as myself and as an investor looking, if I don't see anything about you. I feel you're not doing your job. So how great of a startup can you be if nobody can find anything about you? That's true. We actually wrote um, an article for how startups, instead of marketing towards customers, how they should be marketing towards investors. So we wrote it on our um, on our blog page on our website, and it's titled um, "I Should Have Heard About You Ten Times Already." So uh, it was based on this uh, this investor who, when I was first starting out, taught me before you walk in the room to pitch me, I should have heard about you ten times already. And I'm like, how are they going to do that? And so there were all of these tactics that, um, that we wrote and found out and researched on. And it was true. It was, uh, you know, if nobody is talking about you, they don't believe you've done anything. And if you have done something that's so great and only like one person hears it, it's kind of like that whole tree in the woods making sound analogy all over again, except it's about your business. No, that's, uh, that's great. And it takes time too, right? I think people expect that they're all going to be the next Tesla or something and yeah. they're going to skyrocket through the markets, but it all takes a little bit of help and a little bit of um, sharing and pushing yourself out there uh, for people to eventually get who you are. And, and uh, the best advice I was given when I started my company, this was 15 years ago. Um, I was at uh, a friend of mine was getting married and one of the uh, patrons that was attending, he said, he was a startup business and well, he had been in business for 10 years, but he said, you won't know you're a business until you've been a business in business for five years. And um, I never thought much of that, but I always kept this in the back of my mind. And what I realized that in my first five years, I didn't want to tell anybody that I was in business because I wanted to actually make sure that I had something before I told anybody. And I mm. probably didn't, and I didn't tell anybody I was the CEO of my own company until probably year six or seven for the same reason. Um, just like being in the background kind of thing. But what I did learn is that when I finally got to that, I kept hustling to get to year five. And even though I learned this five years earlier, it never left my mind and I kept pushing and pushing. And then when I got to year five, that's when I realized that I was closing bigger contracts, that, uh, we were doing a lot more things. And that's when I actually felt I was a real company. So you can hustle and grow through many things, but uh, if you don't put a voice and you don't share and you don't get out there, then that five years can take a long time to get there. So it's really important uh, to share and get other people to share in your success as well, which is sharing uh, information about what they you did for them and why it was successful. 
Yeah, exactly. And hopefully there, there are people that are very relevant to your business and not just like your cousin who's, <laughs> who's like gung-ho for you, you well, know? Isn't that what Google Maps is? That's for your family to come in yeah. and get you going? But exactly. hey, it's all a starting point, right? Mm-hmm. It's all a starting point. So um, maybe uh, you can chat a little bit more too about um, when you're working with these companies, what you find is the best outcome that matches their needs. So everybody has this value exchange that they're looking for. What's the best way that you find working with them? Is it face-to-face? Is it um, Skype calls or, or Zoom calls? Or what is the best way that you action with them? Are you acting as an accelerator so they're all in your office every week? What do you guys do that gets those uh, startups that you're uh, willing to jump into or invest in to work tighter, stronger, faster with you guys? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, so usually they, they would sign on to our platform and then we'd be able to actually see, you know, what their metrics are, where they're heading, are they growing or are they just plateauing, right? So we're able to actually see and track them over a certain period of time. Everyone always wishes that they have more time to get to know the founders, the team, the person, the business before they invest. And not everybody always has that luxury, right? And so being able to see more information and data in the back end is key for us to be able to invest in any of, of the startups that, that we want. And, um, and so how we work with them, if we see that any of them um, are kind of rising, but not to the level that they expected or they're plateauing or anything like that, we do have a monthly call with them. Um, but the important thing isn't really just a monthly call where we have call to actions. We have actionable items for them to um, hit for the next call, which is the next month or so on and so forth. It's not as much about the regular calls as it is about being available and being there when, uh, when and if they are running into a negotiation, but they have, uh, you know, they're way in over their heads or they're completely overwhelmed. And those are the times that they really go like, hey, can I have a call with you? sometime today before tomorrow morning or like you know sometime before the next hour sometimes and um those are the ones where you know hey this person really has a need this is their actual need because or else they wouldn't have been reaching out with like four or seven kind of words saying like this is really urgent nope that's awesome i like that yeah and you know what you got to be available uh startups uh tend to when they get connected and they like what you're doing or what you provide uh, they want to move a little bit quicker and they sometimes need answers right away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So I, I guess in this, uh, as you've been moving forward, uh, is there, it sounds like this is really shifted around coaching and mentoring. Um, is that kind of where you'd feel this fits? Um, I feel like we all in the startup and investment industry end up just taking on all these different hats and, um, and it just depends on what the person in front of you really needs, right? So if they do need more of that, then great. If they need um, more of resources, introductions, those kinds of things, also great. But, um, but I think that this is a, an evolving industry and um, everyone will be uh, a mentor and a mentee at some point um, during this entire journey. Well, that's awesome. And, and uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. So maybe uh, we've kind of gone on this nice little journey through our conversation, through your experience, the marketing side, how your product works, how your fun works, and now kind of shifted through the, the coaching, the mentoring. I think we've really uh, learned a lot about 
uh, how you work with and how you guys operate inside of the, the ecosystem. Uh, maybe what we can do is we can jump into uh, our rapid fire questions, if you will. Um, I'll, I'll ask the question and then uh, basically as quickly as you can um, is to, to provide a response back and you can always yell pass. I'm pretty easy going on all of them. I won't sit there and, and drill you on the question, but uh, uh, feel free to share what you feel fits best. Um, and then uh, I've got like two last questions to kind of round it all out. But uh, if that works, we'll jump right into it. Great. Awesome. Okay. Well, you've shared a lot about your why you got into investing and all that good stuff. What's your favorite part of investing, of startup investing? Uh, learning about new technologies. Okay. Uh, how many companies or dollars do you invest per year? I don't know yet because this is our first year. Okay. You have to ask me next year. Done. We'll make sure we have a follow-up for that. <laughs> Uh, which is the, do you follow up invest? And I guess you'll know that. I don't know yet. Next year. You're working on that. Okay. Yeah, good. we're working on it. Okay. Uh, is there any notable companies that you would like to talk about or share in the portfolio at this point? Yes. Uh, Brew Ninja. They are um, a CRM for breweries out in uh, Saskatchewan. And um, I will send you an intro. Done. Very cool. Uh, is there any verticals that you like to focus on in your investments? I know you're kind of agnostic, but is there any areas that you really feel that fit maybe with yourself uh, that you like to go after? So um, the, the partner that we have, our, our main partner, his philosophy is how do we make uh, human lives better for the future? So that is a great philosophy. Anything that fits in that is perfect. It sounds very BC-like. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> All right. That's good. And that's a good philosophy to work off of too. Um, okay. Uh, do you have any preferred terms that you guys like to look at when you are making an investment? As much as possible. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, uh, not at this time. I would probably have to see more to see what I would prefer and not prefer. Okay. So you'll kind of learn as you go. It could be convertible notes. It could be whatever safes, if whatever you choose to work inside that uh, startup stream that comes in. Exactly. Uh, okay. So on the due diligence side, is there anything that you guys look for to make sure I know you're getting through on your first investment? Mm -hmm. Was there something that you were focusing on that you really thought stood out that you really want to see going forward with all of the startups that you decide to make an investment in? Um, yeah, I, I think in, in general, I would like to see, I mean, which is also why we are building platforms to aid this process, to make the process more concise, easier, more painless for both sides. That is what I would like to see in this industry. Okay. Um, but is there, is there things that you guys want from a legal perspective or P&Ls or anything that you want to see that you would like that would fit better in making your choice? Oh, uh, nothing in particular comes to mind. Okay. Uh, what is your timeline for investment? How long does it take you to make an investment? Is it three days and you're in or is it three months? So it depends if they have a lead investor. So if they do have a lead investor, it's much shorter. Could be three days. If they have a no lead investor and they're kind of doing it back and forth, then we still have to wait for the lead to have signed. Okay. Which my next question, which you kind of answered, uh, do you lead rounds? No. Okay. Uh, what, 
Uh, do you take board seats? Um, at this time, we don't. Okay. Uh, what other ways do you help startups outside of just money? Um, hopefully, marketing, advisement, uh, referrals, things that they would need to succeed. Okay. Do you rec recommend mentorship or coaching to your founders? Uh, both, depending on what they are doing. Okay. So, one of the things that always fascinates me about investors is that uh, as they've been working with companies, they, they come across uh, a great startup or a company that has really popped up out of nowhere and done some great things and they have a cool story. So do you have any uh, heartfelt or warm felt stories of a startup that you've met, engaged with or worked with over the years uh, that you thought really just pulled the cat out of the bag and it was pretty fascinating where they, where they, fell off the map or where they came through or a sales call that was just amazing. Is there anything you can share along those lines that would really, uh, um, really entice the environment to be excited? Yeah. Yeah. So every startup of course works day and night. They always feel like they worked 80 hours uh, a week and they are giving it their all and everything. And so there's one story that uh, when we were beta testing venture X platform, they were one of our uh, startups. Um, out in Vancouver, and his story resonated with me that I, in a way that I would never forget. So um, he was a he's he was a young father. So he he was closing his first investment um, on the computer on a laptop at the hospital while his daughter was being born, and that was so surprising. The way that he was explaining this crazy story of how it happened, he was like. He's like, I was running back and forth in the hospital because I wasn't allowed to like be in here and I had to do this. And then there was this call and just like having that memory, that, that scene burned into my brain. It just made me always uh, feel so humbled every time, um, you know, when I or somebody else is going through something that is difficult or tricky or you're tired, but at least you probably weren't trying to close an investment while your first child was being born. That's awesome. That's, that's, uh, that's a startup making sure that they're taking business down and making sure that at the same time they're supporting their family and their new family. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty amazing. So uh, startups have to wear many hats and I guess in that uh, side of things, they're working pretty strongly. So that's pretty cool. No, I love that. Always uh, a good story uh, about how an entrepreneur has to persevere. Hmm, absolutely. Uh, okay. So, we're kind of getting down to the last question that I have. And I guess based on the way the markets are today, uh, do you have an outlook that you would think that right now, based on 2020, where we're sitting, where do you think the next three months are gonna look like? And then where do you see it going in the next three years? And is there a specific vertical that you think is really gonna pop in the next three years that investors or startups should look at getting into? Yeah, um, absolutely. So great question. Um, so firstly, yes, I do think that in the next three months, there will be um, the, the big long lasting um, kinds of startups that really popped up. So why I say that is um, I had a great interview on our show, uh, Spotlight, where we were talking to impact investors, and they were explaining how um, in the last several recessions, every time there was a recession, Big, incredible startups have come out of that, 
with, you know, raging power and like this huge flare. Airbnb came out of a recession and so did Uber, right? And those are ones that will last for a really long time. So it's not that it's always going to be um, insane for everybody or all the industries are suffering. So people are going in a direction of up and down and that's kind of how we have to see it. Just like the markets are going up and down, just like a game that it keeps reminding me of this game called Yahtzee. I don't know, we only played it when we were little. So it was like you roll a bunch of dice and then you throw it out. And if you don't like what you get, you kind of go back into the barrel, you roll a bunch of dice again, and then you get a whole bunch of different results. So basically coming out of 2020, as we are ending the year, out of the pandemic, out of everything else that's happened, I believe that you will come out with a new set of winners and losers. Not that every industry and every single person is you know, in a spiraling down. No, I don't think that's really what's happening, I think that we will all be surprised who the new winners are going to be. And in the back of our heads, we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. We should have thought of that. That's the way it should have been, right? So I think that's definitely going to, to happen. It will take longer to recover um, these days. It'll probably, you'll have to ask not for, uh, not for funding for 12 to 18 months, but more of a two year mark. Uh, because you're going to need that extra buffer if it's your first round of financing because you really don't know if you're going to get a follow-on round, if it's going to come in on time, and um, how badly the recession is affecting your other team members or your future team members. So that's how I think it will affect uh, startup funding. And you had a last question. Last, What was the last part of your question? Uh, if, oh my had a good answer to it too <laughs> oh let me let me take one second to think of it so uh what industries do you think are really going to take off oh and, yes and the other ones you answered so that would be yeah so um there are two things that that came to mind about what industries i think will take off so uh there was a great prediction in the past year that mental health would be the new thing and there was a funny joke that i think my favorite uh, one of my favorite marketers gary v said was uh people are going to pay an absorbent amount of money to go into a room and sit. And that is very true. That's exactly what a meditation class sounds like. And, um, but coming out of especially this um, isolation stage, I think that there will be more and more uh, trends towards things like mental health, addiction, um, those kinds of things that are, that were once being seen as, hey, this is really hard to measure. How do you measure the impact or the return on investment or those kinds of things? And to, hey, this is now a necessity. This should be part of your insurance. This is, um, you know, important for people of all ages, not just this subset group of people. So that's one of the industries I think um, will definitely be um, trending. Another one that will be trending, I think, downwards will be uh, malls because we're not shopping in the same ways um, as we were in the past 10 years or even the past year, right? You didn't buy things six months ago the same way you did 12 months ago, probably, for all of the same things, because they were not accessible to you, but they were available to you. And um, so there was a funny podcast from this great entrepreneur, uh, James Altucher, who was having um, a funny discussion. You've got to listen to this podcast. It was great uh, about the trends that were happening. But the best part of it was how we predicted that malls would become new retirement homes because retirement homes were too crowded there were too many people they needed more space and they're like hey you know where there's a lot of space empty malls 
and they're already accessible by wheelchair because there are elevators everywhere. And, um, and so that I thought that was really, really funny. I do hope something like that does happen. Um, when it's going to happen, I don't know, but I think that malls definitely need a, a new revamp, um, regardless of whatever they turn into, um, just because people aren't going to automatically go back to that kind of behavior and, um, and new trends are coming and it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, it's hard to fight that Goliath. Nope, I like that. Those are two great points. And mental mental health is certainly making a big leap. We we did a panel on it maybe three, three four months ago, just at the peak of COVID, and we brought uh, four startups and a PhD on mental health into the panel, and it was uh, uh, very well received. And uh, Cherry Rose was our keynote, and she's uh, launched a podcast just around mental health, so uh, sharing stories. So it's it certainly is a, a big touch point. And uh, shopping centers, I do agree. I think there's one in Ajax that's converting into that now. Uh, it was the, I think it's the Whitby or Ajax shopping mall. I think they're turning it into a retirement home or something, uh, but it's being revamped. They took out half of it and it's now being shut down. So there is going to be something happening with them. Uh, before this happened, they already had reduced numbers, like outside of the majors. Uh, the other ones were having a tough go, but maybe uh, maybe those ones will change into... Uh, they were doing them as entertainment centers. So they were trying to find ways to get people to come there, like going to the movies, uh, to go there for entertainment at the malls because of the space. So who knows now where they're going to go because people aren't congregating, right? I, I drove by a, a band playing the other day with 30 cars in the parking lot honking. So that was very <laughs> weird. Um, if that's a concert going, it's going to be very tough to uh, have that type of growing up culture where I hung out in a parking lot in my car honking my horn to a band, but things the have- The whole Greece culture is going to come back with the drive-through, with the drive-through movie theaters and everything. Yeah. It's all going to come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be pretty crazy. Well, I, I, uh, Sydney, I want to thank you very much for your time today. It was brilliant. I got to learn a lot. Uh, as always, I take lots of notes so I can uh, share this out as we go, but uh, I want to thank you again for all the insights. And the way we always operate is I want to give you the last word. So anything that you want to share with investors or with the startups, I give you the floor to do that. And uh, thank you again for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So if you are looking for a startup funding, please go to www.venturex.ca and you can uh, sign up. You have a two-week free trial. So please try it out. And um, yeah, happy to meet you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for that. And have a fantastic day. And again, appreciate all the insights. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that was awesome. So Sydney, uh, amazing, came to us from, from Victoria, BC. She shared a lot of great insights on how they are approaching startups and working with them. And uh, she popped in there some, uh, a couple of things that they look for, um, how their product's doing with customers, product feedback. Is there a product market fit? And really coming from a marketer perspective, awesome. And it is 100% something that's needed. I totally uh, can see that. And I think everybody kind of has to get around. How do I make sure that my product goes to market, has a fit, and I can start to get high growth, not just standard um, steady growth as, as we eventually uh, were talking to. Um, and I think uh, the, I loved what she was saying about the future, man. Mental health um, is really important these days. And of course, what's going to happen with these big properties and how are they going to cope with the changes 
um, with the shopping habit changes. So something to keep in mind was uh, if you're trying to figure out where you want to be as an investor or where you want to be as a startup. But uh, thank you everybody for joining us and have a fantastic week.